0: meditate all the time when we worry we are meditating when we have a resentment when we relive a past hurt and we feel that pain again that resentment feeling it over by playing it over in our minds that that's that's us meditating and just like any good meditation it ends up making us feel something Meditation is a cognitive exercise, but it is one that, if done properly, culminates in an emotional takeaway. So when you're getting yourself worked up, thinking about what you don't want, or reliving something painful or embarrassing or traumatic. That's a meditation. And when we do good meditations, when we choose holy and wholesome things to meditate on, it's rather like the uh, unwanted meditations. So at least, that the, the process is, the mechanics are. It's simply taking an idea or a thought and turning it around and around and around, like holding up a gemstone into the light and observing all the different facets. The word for meditation in uh, the Holy Tongue in Hebrew is isboinanos, which comes from the word bina, which is the feminine sector of the intellect, which is the womb of thought, as it were, where a germ or kernel of an idea develops and expands. It's also related to the word boine, which means to build, or binyan, a building, because it's mental building. You're taking one idea and elaborating upon it. So that's what we're doing when we are misbeinen, or we practice hisbeinenus. So we're going to build upon a thought today. The thought that is encapsulated in the verse you should know today, and you should place it upon your heart. Indeed, those are two different things. Knowing today, that is the knowledge, the information. Place it upon your heart, that is the process of making it emotional. What should you know today and take upon your heart? Hashem elokim. Lord is God that in the heavens above and on the earth below there is nothing else there is nothing else so that's the meditation today meditation is that there is nothing else but contrary to what you might think we're not going to be thinking about nothing order to understand how there is nothing else in fact generally in this type of meditation we don't attempt to clear the mind I know that some of us are familiar with forms of meditation that purport to rid the mind of discursive thought but this form of meditation to the contrary is embracing discursive thought. We want that voice that narrates in our head. The same one that narrates the worries and the resentments, yes, we want that voice to narrate in our heads the elaboration upon a single thought so that that thought will take on dimension, become fully fleshed out, and then ultimately become something that moves us on an emotional level. Now first, we begin with our default factory settings, which is that we look around us, we see all types of things. We see all types of created beings, all different shapes and sizes. We see things that are living, things that are non-living, the world is uh, full of all types of different creations. Very, very busy place. If you had a microscope, you would see the world's even busier than it appears with the naked eye. And if you had a, if you had a telescope, same thing. And taking into account all that that's happening in this busy, busy, busy universe, doesn't really seem too much like there's none else. It seems like there's a lot of different stuff. So how are we going to get ourselves into the mode of thought where we not only know, but we have taken to heart, we feel, that truly there's nothing but God. So we begin with the notion that everything that exists at present once did not exist in fact that's sort of the definition of creation creation is something that had to be created which therefore means it has a finite starting point before which it did not exist at all Carl Sagan who uh, claimed to be an atheist, but he made a very Hasidic joke, he once said, what are the directions for baking an apple pie from scratch? First, create the heavens and the earth. It's a very Hasidic joke. You see, if you already have apples growing from trees, that's not making an apple pie from scratch are already provided with the raw materials. From scratch, the way that God created in the six days of creation was from absolute nothing, or nothing as we know it, which is the real something, his own essence, his unknowable essence. From that, he produced something as we know it or all somethings as we know them they say uh, there was a group of research scientists they wanted to simulate the creation of man just as God had created man on the sixth day of creation it says in the Torah how Hashem gathered earth he formed it into the shape of a man and he breathed within it the breath of life. So these scientists, they gathered up the uh, dirt and they shaped it into a mound in a sort of anthropomorphic shape and they had it hooked up to some electrodes with a big machine on the other end. They were about to pull a switch to run the current through the dirt and animate it and turn it into a walking, talking man just as God had done. And as they're about to pull the switch, a voice booms forth from heaven and says, Not so fast. Get your own dirt. Meaning to say that even if man would animate dirt and turn it into a walking, talking man, that would not be creation something from nothing. When God created, he created the dirt. And he created it out of nothing. In that sense, Human creativity as we know it is not creation at all because all manners of human creativity are actually formation not creation. We take one something and we manipulate it and we change it into another something. So the artist may arrange the paints on the canvas and create, we call it creation. Create a work of art, but the canvas existed and the paints existed before he got a hold of them. Or uh, the baker may take the flour and the water and knead them into dough and bake the dough into bread. But of course, the baker was starting with flour and water. The baker didn't create the flour and the water. So again, that's an act of Formation, not creation. The metaphor that's used in the second volume of Tanya is that of a silversmith. It says that a silversmith takes a piece of silver and melts it and turns it into a cup and then silversmith takes the cup and places it on the shelf in his workshop and takes a lunch break and leaves the workshop at no time is the cup in danger of reverting to its previous state and that's a very important point that's a very important point in fact that's the point that when you manipulate one something into another something when you merely change the form of a something generally speaking it does not revert to its previous state. Generally speaking it is fairly comfortable and stable in its new state so the painting doesn't unpaint itself and loaf of bread doesn't turn back into flour and water. Because when one something is changing to another something, it generally stays that way. This is the exact opposite of the nature of a something that was fashioned from nothing. And the reason is that when a something is made out of another something, all that has been changed is the external form. When a something has been made out of nothing, what has been changed is the very essence of nothing. What is the essence of nothing? The essence, meaning the very definition, the unavoidable definition is its non-existence. Therefore, to bring non-existence into existence is not merely to impose some external change upon its form. To bring non-existence into existence is to override the very essence of nothingness. Now, think about this. The presence of the table in front of you right now is more miraculous than the most iconic miracle in the Bible. The most iconic miracle in the Bible, ask Universal Cities Studios Tour. I believe they have the. Splitting of the sea from the uh, Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston, as Moses. So the splitting of the sea, that's the most iconic miracle of the Bible. And what were the mechanics of the splitting of the sea? It tells us that God Almighty sent a powerful east wind to blow upon the water all night. In other words, the wind was pushing on the water and holding the water up like a wall. That's how the Torah describes it, was standing like a wall. Try to imagine that. The wind is blowing on the water and it's imposing itself upon the form of the water. The water generally likes to flow. water likes to flow and now the wind is pushing on it and making it stand up stack up as it were and if the wind were to stop imposing itself upon the water for even a a moment the water would collapse instantly so there's a constant exertion of force required order to keep that water standing as it did all night, to allow the children of Israel to pass through. And yet, that feat was accomplished merely by one something acting upon another something and changing its external form, not allowing water to flow, but making it stand up compare that and contrast that with every something. Every something that exists in God's creation came from nothing. And the fact that it is now in a state of somethingness is not merely exerting some type of imposition upon the, the external form of the nothingness. In fact, I I would venture to say, nothingness has no form. The fact that every something is a something, although it is essentially nothing, and was nothing for eternity, until Hashem imposed somethingness upon it, that, like we said, is a case of overriding the very essence of nothingness. So here, here's a logical argument if in order for Hashem to override merely the external form of the water which is a something by having another agent the, the, the wind blow upon it which is, which is another something if in order to have the water stand up straight like that Hashem had to constantly cause the the air to exert its force upon the water and all that was doing was imposing itself upon the form of the water so that it should behave like a different kind of something how much more so, infinitely more so must the exertion of power, the imposition of power, of creative, of creative force, be applied constantly upon every single something in order that it not instantly, effortlessly revert into nothing. So the solidity of this table in front of us is really sort of an illusion. I don't mean that it's solid in the sense that you can't pass your hand through it. I mean the fact that we take for granted that it is there just because it has been there in the previous millisecond. The truth is that the essence of the table, like all somethings, is non-existence and if it weren't for the Creator, constantly imposing existence upon the table and everything else in the cosmos, it would instantly, effortlessly, automatically revert to its essential state as it was for eternity, non-existent. So once you start to think about it in those terms, Now you can start to have two perspectives on reality at the same time. You can start to experience the relative non-existence of all things, even without having to call your perceptions a lie. What I mean by that is that created existence is not an illusion but the nature of created existence is subject to an illusion. Created existence certainly exists but not the way that we assume it to exist. We assume that it exists, we take for granted that it exists. Independently. Whereas the reality is that its existence at every single second is completely and totally dependent. For if the Creator were to cease imposing somethingness upon every something, as we said, it would instantly, automatically effortlessly revert to non-existence how much lag time would that take imagine stopping a massive semi-truck going 90 miles an hour down the highway and all of a sudden you see the bridges out ahead and you have to pull the brake stop the truck there's a certain amount of momentum built up it's going to take a while to stop that truck Now imagine something as gargantuan as the universe, how massive it is, and yet if Hashem were to stop imposing created existence upon the universe, how long would it take before it were to disappear? No time at all. And as such, even at this present instant, this tiny, tiny, tiny little fraction of time that we call the present, even though we see the something's around us and the table is in front of us and we can see it and we can even touch it, lean upon it, its existence here is not in any way whatsoever independent. Its existence is an extension of the one and only true existence, the one and only true something, which always was and never came into being, never needed to be created because it always was and is and will be. So imagine yourself now, you're going about your day and you encounter many things by things i mean objects and as well maybe a little bit more abstractly situations by situations i suppose i mean the arrangement of those things as well as how human beings and other living creatures interact with them in other words all of the circumstances of your life So you get up and you see your house and you see your furniture and your appliances. Maybe the people that you live with and the mail that came that the postal carrier put in the mailbox. Maybe there's a package that was delivered for you too at the door, something that you ordered yesterday. Your car is out in the driveway. Right? This is the world of created things and situations that we're very very used to living in sort of with a blind faith that it is absolutely solid and real on its own now remember we have two perspectives and they're not mutually exclusive whatsoever At the same time you go about your day open the refrigerator and you take out your your orange juice and you pour it into the glass that orange juice and that glass are only existing at each second because the creator is imposing somethingness upon them at that second so do they exist yes they exist Do they have their own existence? No, not at all. They don't have their own existence. In fact, what you could actually say is that every something, the orange juice and the glass of orange juice and the counter that the glass is lying on, that each one of those somethings is actually a manifestation of divine will. Those are all divine will for the manifestation of divine will, because without divine will, none of this would exist at this present second. In that case, what are the implications here? The position of the orange juice glass on the counter is a direct product of divine will. You didn't realize God took so much interest in the details of your life. And if the carton of orange juice happens to run out before you're able to fill the glass to your liking, well, that's not to your liking, but apparently it's to God's liking. Because the precise amount of orange juice to the molecule, and even smaller measurements, is an expression at that very moment of the creator's will now as we're experiencing the orange juice in this way it occurs to us that every single thing that happens in our life is exactly as the creator wants it to be at this moment at this moment I stress at this moment because faith is not fatalism fatalism means oh it's this way now so it's always going to be that way which is absurd but faith faith simply means a reality affirmation it is this way right now that must mean that is precisely the way the creator wills it to be right now in grammar There are different tenses of verbs. The the verb tense to remember, which is a guide for your life, is present perfect. Present perfect. The present is always perfect. So, the orange juice obviously is just uh, an easy example because. Your emotions are probably not that highly invested in that outcome. But the truth is, the very same idea that holds true for the orange juice holds true for everything that's going to happen in your day. The people that you meet and the experiences that you have, everything is being... Arranged down to the minutest detail. And not just that God is putting things where he wants to put them at the moment, but even more than that, he's creating them in their places at the moment that he is creating them. Of course, everything is exactly where it's supposed to be right now for this moment. Because it's being created brand new, something from absolute nothing at this moment. And it's being created in the condition and the state and the place and the time that the creator wills it to be at this very moment. now, we're just showing up to God's reality. We're not even reacting yet. We have no need to react. Free will has to do with how we're going to react, but we're not reacting today. Today, we're just going to experience God's world. Maybe we will react tomorrow. There's nothing to react to right now. Just showing up and experiencing reality and without having to deny that reality exists to the contrary we affirm that reality exists and yet we don't assume any longer that creation has any independent existence whatsoever we realize that the nature of created existence is absolute and constantly dependent on the Creator completely that means all of it constantly that means all the time you know maybe hundreds of years ago when these meditations were described in the mystical texts it was harder for people to imagine things like this but today if I were to ask you for instance just as an analogy this is not the actual idea but it's an analogy If I were to say, what would happen if you were to extract all of the atoms from the table in front of you? How much table would be left over? You know that joke, they say, don't believe atoms, they make up everything. So if the atoms were removed from the table in front of you, how much table would be left over? So, if God's will were removed from the present moment, How much of reality as we know it would remain behind. An empty shell? No, not even. Nothing. In fact, (laughs) not only would it not exist now, but retroactively it will have never existed because it will lose everything including its past, including its history. Now, if that's so, we could really understand what it means. Anyone who gets angry, it's like he worshipped idols. Why is anger like worshipping idols? Anger is a reality rejection. It's like sitting down at the restaurant, and the waiter brings you your order, and you say, waiter, that's not what I asked for. Take it back. Anger is telling God this this present moment is not what I asked for. It's wrong. Anger is a reality rejection. Now you can say the present reality is painful. We don't have to lie. Better not to lie. We can be truthful about whether the moment causes us pain or pleasure. But our opinion, meaning whether we think it's right or wrong is really irrelevant in light of the fact that if it's happening right now it's happening exactly as the creator is willing it to happen and therefore the first thing we really need to do before we start judging or maybe instead of judging at all first thing we need to do is just show up completely show up without numbing, without self-distracting. Anger sometimes has that effect. The rage is a sort of numbing agent so that we don't have to feel what we would be feeling if we were to soak in the moment. So, imagine yourself going about your day, and now imagine yourself in a more stressful situation. Something a little bit more emotionally high-stakes than pouring the glass of orange juice. Imagine yourself in... Usually it has something to do with other people. Usually the high-stress stuff has to do with other people, because uh, other people don't behave. But remember, remember, that the Creator is putting them exactly where He wishes to put them to. And yes, there is such a thing called free will and that's one of the great paradoxes that they will be accountable for their choices and yet the way they show up in our lives is not because they willed it to be that way. It is only because the Creator wills it to be that way. So now imagine yourself in one of your more stressful situations. You'll have to fill in the blanks. Imagine something that is painful and stressful. I'm not trying to induce pain or stress, but to the contrary. Now imagine yourself seeing how this situation, even if it's an ongoing situation, even if it's been going on for a long time, See that it only exists at this second and that this present moment is the meticulously planned manifestation of divine will precisely as the creator wills it at this moment in your life. and you don't have to react right now you don't have to say anything, you don't have to do anything all you have to do is be present and think to yourself that this moment is being brought into existence as we know it out of absolute non-existence is the constant exertion of creative force upon nothingness that brings this present moment into being as we understand being and that this is being done with infinite wisdom and believe it or not infinite kindness tailor-made specifically for you and your growth as an eternal being. Experiencing creation as part of creation. And yet, because of the, the mind that you given you're able to experience creation somewhat at least from the perspective of creator as well you're not trapped into experiencing creation as just another creation among creations because of the mind you were given you're able to see behind the facade And realize that there's really nothing but God, nothing but the true something, the true existence, manifesting himself in various ways at every given moment. say that in the heavens above and on the earth below the Lord is God there is none else we really mean it there's nothing but him and there are no independent agents that have any control there are no other autonomous existences or beings Nothing is ontologically independent. That means nothing has an existence unto itself. So for sure there are no powers that govern our lives other than the will of God at this very moment.